Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. The South Love Club, a place where boss babes share their stories to empower women. Welcome to the Self Love Club podcast. I'm Val Crawford, and you can find out more about why I've launched this club at valcrawford.com. I'd love for you to join it, and trust me, it's not like a cult or pyramid scheme. It's literally just a club where you can come hang out. It's going to be a fun time. Join me for a podcast series where we'll hear the stories of girl boss women who are doing super cool things with their lives. We'll find out how they've done what they have, their self-love and self-care practices, and they'll share their tips to empower you to live your best life. Jazz Thornton is the co-founder of mental health charity Voices of Hope. Jazz was sexually abused as a child and tried to take her own life 14 times from the age of 12. Once Jazz was able to overcome this, she wanted to create something she needed growing up. With a background in film and TV, Jazz has spent the last two years directing a web series called Jessica's Tree, which tells the story of a young girl's suicide and is out now. This conversation discusses mental health and suicide, not in graphic detail, but it may be distressing to some listeners. If you would like to talk to someone, you can find a full list of contact details in the show notes for this episode. And if you're in New Zealand, you can free text or call 1737. Jazz, welcome to the Self Love Club podcast. Thank you so much for coming in today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Now tell everyone about yourself uh, and what you're up to. Um, So I am the co-founder of an organisation called Voices of Hope, um, which is a mental health charity. And we create um, a whole lot of online content campaigns around mental health and suicide. Uh, we speak in high schools across this country, the country and at events around the world. Um, and then I also, over the last two years, um, have been directing a new show called Jessica's Tree, um, which is a web series on suicide that is coming out very soon. Um, yeah. And we'll talk more about that soon, but how did, like, when did you start doing the Voices of Hope work and how did that all come about? Uh, so Voices of Hope launched in the beginning of 2017 um, and it was myself and a friend Genevieve Moore who who did it and we we kind of um, we both have quite um, extensive backgrounds with mental health ourselves so I um, I was sexually abused as a kid and then the first time I tried to take my life I was 12 um, and then tried another 13 times throughout my teenage years comas mental health wards um, Genevieve struggled with a really severe eating disorder hospitalized um, OCD and anxiety and so when we eventually got through that, we were like, man, we want to, we want to create something that we needed when we were going through that time. Mm. Um, and so we both had kind of a passion for storytelling. Um, I had enrolled in South Seas Film and Television School at the time to study directing so that I could figure out how to do it properly. Um, and then the first ever video that we did was a video called Dear Suicidal Me. And it had four people reading out their suicide notes. And then I got everyone to write a letter um, to their past suicidal self, like, Dear Suicidal Me, I know that right now it feels like you can't do it, but what you don't know is you're about to become an award-winning actor. You're going to travel the world. Um, and that video in the space of about 48 hours blew up and was at 20 million views, and now it sits at over 80 million. Wow. Um, and that's when I was kind of like, 
um, maybe have a knack for this, maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that's kind of what we do. And then, you know, we've been able to go shoot campaigns over in America and speak at events um, all around the world now. So wow. it's been amazing. That's so cool. And I think when people are speaking about these things, it's really helpful when someone, and I think that's why it works so well, is that you've been through it. Like you and your friend that started this, you've gone through it. So that always resonates with people so much more than someone who doesn't really understand from like their point of view either. Yeah, I often find that when we're in schools as well. We, I have, I couldn't tell you how many teenagers contact me daily um, because they see my story and they relate to it, but they won't go see a school counsellor because there's this barrier where obviously professionals aren't allowed to share their own stories with clients, um, but it just creates this massive barrier where people want to talk to others who have similar experiences experiences or know what they're going through. Yeah, we'll talk more about your work soon, but take us back. And these are obviously it's a horrible thing you went through. And, you know, how did you manage to get through this time? Like obviously you have been, you know, in the past really mentally unwell and not and not good you know like how did you manage to get through it um it was it was kind of one conversation that sparked my recovery um and I had just tried to take my life for the last time I was sitting in the in the intensive care unit of the psychiatric um ward and a friend of mine came in who had been um had known me since I was 12 and she sat down I remember just bawling my eyes out and she was like Jazz why are you crying and and I looked at her and I was like I'm just so tired of fighting. And she turned to me and she was like, Jazz, what do you think the definition of fighting is? Because I don't think you've been fighting. I think you've only been surviving. And it's only when you learn how to fight that the change that you're longing to see is going to happen. And I remember taking that and going, oh my goodness, like if I've actually just been surviving this whole time for the last nine years and fighting might change something, I've got to learn how to do that. And so from within the walls of the mental health ward, I was um, Googling the definitions of surviving and fighting and um, realised there was such a massive difference between the two of them. Um, surviving is to continue to live or exist in hardship, which is important, um, but fighting is to engage in a battle or war, fight to overcome and destroy an adversary. And I was like, shoot, haven't been doing that. Um, so you had, even though obviously you've been getting like care and help, do you think you hadn't been trying to get better? What had been, what I, I now see was happening was that I was going in with the mindset of this is who I am, therefore it will never change. Um, so when I was in counselling, when I was in the wards and um, like community care, I was so set in the thinking that this can never change because it's part of my identity. But when I started to go in with the mindset that maybe, just maybe this is something um, that I'm just dealing with that isn't who I am, that's when things really started to change because I could actually take on what they were offering. Yeah, I mean, so many, it's obviously a very sensitive topic for anyone to talk about, but like for you, so many attempts and then were you just determined? Did you just want to not be alive? Yeah, um, it's it's a, a literal miracle that I'm still here. Um, I remember there was one time where I had um, gone out into literally the middle of nowhere. No one knew um, and I began the process of trying to take my life and then someone um, had decided, this man had decided to come out um, and biked off track because I was in this like big bush area. He biked off track and found me unconscious and when I got to the hospital they were like, which I was un completely unconscious mm. and in a coma for three weeks they were like if you were unfound for like five more minutes you were gone um and so I was I was very determined but every single attempt I something happened and was intervened um and I'm very thankful now back then I was furious yeah exactly yeah. That, and that's something I don't think people understand when someone 
attempts to take their own life. I had a boyfriend do it years back and he was so angry that it didn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think they just, people can feel quite humiliated and like sort of like, oh, like I can't even do that right, you know. So what, is it, what does it feel like when you have an attempt and it doesn't work? Like what, what goes through your mind? Um, I think it's, there's so many things, but in, specifically in this country, one of the biggest things is now everyone's just going to think I'm an attention seeker. Um, because that's the stigma we have attached to people who are suicidal and people who struggle with depression and or who speak up about it or show signs like that. Um, but you just you hate yourself for it. You're like literally like what you said, I can't even do that right. You're so certain that you've got everything lined up and that you're good to go and you've, you know, if you do send goodbyes, you do that and then and then you wake up and you're like, This isn't how it was supposed to happen. Um and people often think that you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so relieved that I'm still here. That's never the case. No, That's I, never been the case for me. Because you're already in a really horribly dark place beforehand. I can imagine after that, it's even, is it even worse than before? Yeah, it really is. And people are trying to help, but you realise um, within, especially within our systems, that there's just there's not a lot out there and you feel like you're burdening everyone. That's the biggest thing for me. And that was one of my core beliefs was that I was a burden. Um, And that's so common for majority of people who try to take their lives. Mm. They genuinely believe the world would be better off without them. And so then to have people having to, you know, come to hospital or having to look after you, you just, that feeling is just like extended massively. Yeah. Mm. And what, for people who maybe haven't, experienced suicidal thoughts before or or attempted suicide what do you think like in a talk us through the mindset of someone who is in that place so that others can maybe try understand a little bit more um I mean it's it's so different for everyone depending on their circumstances um but I know kind of like what I just said that for me I wholeheartedly believed that the world would be better off without me, that um, I was burdening everyone around me. I looked at those who were investing time into me and I was like, man, their lives would be so much easier if I wasn't around. Um, And, you know, I I really, every time that someone was like, Jazz, I love you, I would be like, whatever, like you don't. And that's, I didn't love myself, so how could anyone else? Um, And it's kind of every day you wake up wishing that you hadn't. Um, I would walk down the street seeing trees and just see myself hanging in them like you can't get away from it. Your whole life becomes consumed. But in saying that, um, I at times would present so happy and so bubbly and so outgoing. And um, and so when people are like, oh, but you didn't look it or oh, you didn't like that's why often when people take their lives, so many people are shocked mm. because they're like, but but they had like they had no signs of it. It's like you can't see it. It's all in their head. It's been there probably every day. Um, but they can we've you get very good at just kind of presenting um, because you don't want people to have to spend time on you or have to worry about you. And I think also maybe you, I mean, it's hard to understand yourself, let alone to explain into words to others as well. You're just like, oh, you know, it's just too hard. It's, you can't even work it out yourself, let alone trying to get someone else to understand the thoughts and whatever's happening for you, you know? Yeah, definitely. So you talk about how, you know, for a lot of people and for yourself, I think it, for anyone who has mental health issues or anything really, we do have a worry that we're being a burden on someone or something, but how do you suggest people can look at that differently and know that they're not being a burden, that they that you're allowed to reach out for help? Like, it's totally fine. 
I, you know, in the position that I'm in now, I have a lot of young people coming to me and I never once have thought, oh my gosh, like I wish they'd stop talking to me or oh, I wish they didn't tell me that or oh, they're such a burden. Um, and I know that's exactly what they're thinking that I'm thinking. They're thinking, oh no, mm. I'm burdening Jazz. Like I shouldn't be messaging her. I shouldn't be talking to her. Um, but as someone now on the other side, I can guarantee you that is not what people think. And it would be the same for, you know, someone having cancer going through like chemotherapy and being like, oh, I, like you don't, you don't go, oh my gosh, you're such a burden. Like, why would I want to come with you to get help? Why would I, you know, that's not what happens. And mental illness is an illness. Mm. Um, you just don't see it as, um, you know, on the outside, like you do with physical illness. But yeah, from someone who's been in both positions, um, I would just say that, no, that that is not going through their mind. Your mind is lying to you. Yeah, and I do wonder if if it's possible. Obviously, we can keep telling people this and pushing this message across, but I just wonder if we can't really change the fact that people are just going to think that way, that they're, that, that they're a burden. Like, I just don't, like, I know that sounds, I don't mean to be negative, but I just think people are going to think that way automatically. We can't change that. Yeah, so it's actually in the in the series, um, one of the biggest things that I've kind of touched on is that um, people who are struggling, the one thing we are endlessly telling them to do is to ask for help. Um, but I put the challenge in there and I'm like, but if there's, you know, if there's one thing I want to ask of you right now is to be the person who offers help without having to be mm. asked. Um, I had people that would just be like, hey, are you okay? Like, hey, do you want me to help you with this? Um, because I asking for help is one of the hardest things. And I think that the way that we talk about it now has to change where we have to be not afraid to be like, Hey, are you okay? Like, can I help you with anything? Um, and start putting it on the rest of society and not just the individual struggling. How did you manage to find that love for yourself? Because that is what a lot of it comes down to as well. You didn't love yourself. You didn't want to be alive. How did you manage once your friend said that to you and you sort of started changing the way and you're like, yeah, I do need to fight. How did you start loving yourself and start that process? Because it must have been really like seemed like a big thing to do. Definitely. Um, I think one of the biggest things that really helped me and I now tell everyone to do it um, is that I identified what my core beliefs were, which was I'm unlovable, I'm a burden. Um, I wrote them down on a piece of paper. I drew a line and on the other side, I wrote down everything that people said or did that contradicted those beliefs. Um, so if they would text me just being like, hey, Jazz, I love you or hey, I believe in you, I'm proud of you. Um, the smallest thing, I would write it down I would date it and put their name on it so that every time that my mind would be like, jazz, you're unlovable, jazz, you're a burden, I would pull out this list and I would have rock hard evidence in front of me that my internal reality wasn't matching the external mm. truth. I think sometimes that's important, like whether it be reading something or saying something out loud, it's actually quite a powerful thing. Like, well, actually, no, this person has said on this day, they actually know they do, you know, feel this way. And it, yeah, I think you need that because your mind can be so... Um, it can be really powerful and it can completely play tricks on you, right? Yeah, definitely. And you, when you are kind of in that mindset of going, um, I'm unlovable, I don't deserve to be here, it's it's so hard to think of any um, any reason to stay or even though people have been saying these things to you, like, I love you, I want you to stay, um, you're, you can't remember them when you're in that place. So mm -hmm. having them all written down um, is really powerful because it kind of takes you back to that and going, oh, hang on a second, maybe just maybe people do care. Yeah. How long did it take you to, obviously recovery can be like a, and it's not like, you know, it doesn't have to happen quickly or whatever, but how long did it take you to get to a point where you did want to be alive? Um, once I started to really fight, um, it only took about six months where I started waking up excited for life. Um, and, you know, every now and then I'll be like, oh, this is really hard. Um, but I think 
my literally my life did a whole like 180 as soon as I learned this whole concept of surviving versus fighting. Um, and so, yeah, about six months. Yeah. And so from there to, we, to when you started Voices of Hope, how long did it take you to feel like you really, obviously you wanted to help people, but how long did it take you to come to a point where you're like, nah, I'm going to do something with this? And that's, I mean, there's a reason that you're alive. Mm. And I, I honestly believe that this is because of what you're doing, you know. So how long did it take you to get to that point? Um, that was about kind of a year and a half of going, okay, yeah, now, like when I looked at um, how many people I knew that were struggling, um, I was like, I I have a story and I know what that's like. Um, and it was terrifying because at that point, suicide wasn't something we were talking about. Um, and so when I put my story out there, it was really scary Mm. um but that's when the response started to be incredible and then when we launched voices of hope um you know at the start both me and Jen were like oh like what do we do with our own stories like we're telling everyone else to share theirs um and so we both put ours out Jen took a a lot longer than I did for mine um but they yeah it was it was quite a like when I look at it I'm like it was actually quite a fast turnaround for someone who tried you know first tried to kill themselves at 12 um and then you know got out of the psych ward and then kind of did everything that I did and then launched yeah totally what do you think I mean obviously it's a tough one isn't it but in New Zealand we have really high suicide rates Mm -hmm. obviously the work you're doing and others out there as well is helping but what do you think we can do to help this like really complicated issue I think that one of the biggest things that we need to do is that we need to change the way that we respond. Um, So I, when I pitched this series, um, I pitched it because I saw um, there was an article about a girl who tried to jump off the Southern Motorway Bridge and all of the comments on um, the, these news articles were, um, what an attention seeking girl. If that was my daughter, I'd shoot her down, just jump. She's wasting my time. Um, The world would be better off without her. And I was like, if someone who was suicidal is reading that, they are never asking for help because they are going to assume that what they're reading now is how we're going to respond. Mm. Um, and so I think the biggest thing that we need to try and change is our language around the phrase attention seeking. Um, that if if we as a society can kind of, when people ask for help or watching how we comment on things, um, because people who are struggling are watching that. And, you know, we're, we're constantly told, like, be there for your friends. And we say, um, we'll speak up and be like, hey, like, I'm here for you, which is needed. And we need to do that. Um, but also we need to change the way that we, yeah, the way that we respond and the way that we articulate. I agree. Cause I feel like, yeah, people are being more open to helping and things, but they're not like, they'll say that, yeah, I'm there for you all. Yeah. But, but a lot of people, their attitudes aren't actually like that. So, um, and especially I've never really understood the attention seeking thing because it's like, well, you're not, because if it, if it sadly does happen, then, well, you're not there to get the attention. So, like, how is that attention seeking? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I just don't think someone – it's such a horrible thing to say about somebody who's obviously in a really dark place. Like, just never really understood that. So tell us about Jessica's Tree and the series that you've been working on at the moment. Um, so I um, – it was actually really funny how this thing came about. I was still in film school um, and I had decided that for my end of year project I wanted to do this thing about um, my friend Jess who took her life in 2015 and my tutors were like, oh, um, there's this big like pitching thing coming up with broadcasters. You should go and um, we'll see if we can get you into it to pitch just for experience. Um, and so I got there. I was the youngest of about 35 people pitching. Everyone else had so much experience and had like massive PowerPoints and I had like a piece of paper with three bullet points written on it. Um, 
And I was introduced as like a student pitcher just there to get experience, kind of like be nice from the panel. <laughs> um, and then and then I pitched and I ended up winning the whole thing um, unanimously, which has never happened before. Youngest person to ever win this, the dockage um, pitching thing. And um, from there, we kind of, you know, it, it took off. I signed over so with So you her. pitched with this? I pitched that, yeah. Um, the story has changed um quite a like quite a bit I was never supposed to be in it um and classic Kiwi I never I was like no it's not about me I can't be in it and then eventually the producers were like jazz like and I was like okay just my voice just my voice and now I'm the face um so (laughs) that changed a lot um but the whole the whole story is um like I said it's about a girl that I was mentoring back in 2015 um, who unfortunately took her life. And I, when I saw um, all of those comments that I was talking about on the article of the girl on the Southern Motorway Bridge, I was like, man, I wonder if people knew the story behind that girl, if they would still speak the way that they are. Mm. Um, and Jess was once that girl on the bridge. I was once that girl on the bridge. And so the series um, really kind of dives into – her life um, and it's a really kind of insider look into what it is to be suicidal. I talk from my own experiences about um, what goes on inside the mind of someone who's suicidal to help explain it because for people who haven't been there, it's confusing. That's exactly it. I think people need that sort of education because unless you've been through that yourself, you're never going to actually understand and you can't really help somebody. Yeah, exactly. So that's what we're really aiming to do is to help people understand um, what it is to be suicidal and why people can get to that place. Um, and so we've, we've had, um, we've been working on it for two years to make sure that we got it right. Um, it was really hard because there's been absolutely no shows that have been done about suicide that have had a, um, full positive response. It's usually quite a 50, 50 split between negative and positive. Um, so we've done a whole lot of pre-screenings with people like mental health foundation, ministry of health and stuff. Um, and we haven't had a single negative comment since, um, the, the whole purpose of this is to, um, create change in people's minds so that people feel like they are okay to speak up and ask for help. Mm, so that's what this series is about. So what will people get from it? Like, obviously, you've explained that it'll show people, you know, where she was at and what goes on in someone's mind. But what do you think you want people to take away from the series? I'm really hoping that people um, will be able to take away practical things that they can do. Um, and so we, when we dive into Jess's life, there's so many things that happened that went wrong that should never have happened. And that um, in hindsight, we're like, oh man, you know, could have intervened this way. This is what I could have said. This is how I should have responded. Um, and it's there's a lot of insights into things like that, as well as kind of um, friendships and this, the kind of secrets that teenagers keep between each other that just aren't helping um and so I'm really hoping that you know while it helps people understand that also people feel like they can walk away um being able to do something about it being able to um change the way they respond but also okay um having kind of a wider vision of people in their lives Mm, and because you're right afterwards people do even if they did everything they could have done that people always blame themselves like I should have been there I wasn't there and people sort of it's the guilt and you you know you're like if I'd done this maybe this wouldn't have happened what do you what do you think about that I um when I was doing this series, every single person that I interviewed um, felt guilty. They all thought that there was something that they should have done um, that could have stopped it. And um, I don't really know how much I'm allowed to go into it because there's also a, um, a feature film being made about 
me at the moment that has been following me for the last two years and that's been my journey um, is the journey of guilt with with Jess and her and her passing and being like oh flip like I was I received her final goodbye and didn't respond in time and so while I thought that I was like oh good you know um, the last kind of couple of years is, is hard and I think that anyone who's lost someone to suicide it's the what ifs that come up immediately and it destroys you mm. um, because you're constantly, oh man, what if I did this? What if I said that? But the reality is I I remember one time um, I was about to take my life and someone who was very, very close to me that I absolutely love was on the phone to me knowing that this is where I was and had called the cops. And um, when I got off the phone to them, I, I still tried to do it. And I go back to that and I'm like, okay, I was so set in my mind that that's what I was going to do um, that that person couldn't save me. Mm. And so now, you know, my, my message to, to people is that it's not our job to save people. That's not what we're there for. It's impossible for you to save someone. Um, our job is to be able to care enough so that people feel like they can save themselves. Yeah, totally. That's so true because I think we just want to help. And, yeah, we want to save people, but we're mm. not like superheroes. Mm-hmm. We can only do our best. And, yeah, like you say, if someone's really determined, they will do it, right? Yeah, definitely. You probably feel a sense of responsibility mentoring people, even not even mentoring people, but, you know, like with Jessica, that's a huge thing to undertake mentoring people when the outcome can be that she doesn't survive. What's that like? Is that a huge pressure for you? Yeah, that um, that will also come across in the film a lot, um, but... I I have a very minimal amount of people that I will personally um, take on, but I have hundreds of messages every week um, from young people who are struggling. And I, I've partnered in with 1737, so they manage a lot of my messages um, and also clinical supervisors because I will, I mean, just yesterday I had a girl message me at about 10, but my Instagram kind of went a little bit crazy because of the trailer dropping um, and so she'd said that she didn't want to be here anymore and I didn't see it. And then at about 6 p.m. I got another message from her saying that she's in hospital because she tried to take her life. Um, and I was like, oh, my gosh, like, but we didn't, you know, so that yesterday we were like, okay, every, like, I've got to have someone on my messages 24-7. Um, so it's a lot of responsibility and it's it's hard because um, you want to be like, oh, I need to help everyone. Um, but it would be, you know, it's it's impossible to help, you know, to be able to reply to everyone myself. So, yeah, team, team of people. Yeah, definitely. That's what I mean. Like you, and because when you first was probably open about your own story and and when you started Voices of Hope, you would have had all these messages and it is a bit of like, it's just a, it's a lot like, you know, and I'm sure that you don't mind. Of course you don't mind, but that's what I mean. Like people are sending stuff and they could be in like a really critical spot. And that's what I mean. Like it's really, it's good that they're reaching out, but like it's, probably they need to reach out to maybe it's like someone else or something you know like yeah. that can that can respond to them straight away but i guess they want to re- they want to reach out to someone who gets it you know? yeah and it's it's been really interesting because this is really new territory for anyone um i a lot of my friends have you know struggled with mental health if they're in the public eye um but they're usually known for something else um like for acting or for you know whatever it may be whereas i've become known just for my story um and so the only time people contact me and people will come up to me on the street and tell me their stories um and it's it's really full-on and so all of us are kind of you know me and my whole team are trying to navigate this whole thing um 
And I've been talking to a friend of mine who she had a movie out about eating disorders last year, um, Troy and Belisario. She was on Pretty Little Liars and she's kind of the closest that I've found that's been like, oh, you know, people will now tell me the the depths of their story. And the most important thing is that we constantly redirect to services that can help. So in my bio, I've got the number of 1737 being like, talk to them if you need to, 24-7. Yeah, definitely. Like for like chatting over things, of course, but when it's a critical thing, they need to know to call these like emergency numbers. And that's yeah. what I mean. Like you can't, it's a, not a nice thing for you to go check your messages. And mm. then there's like these ones that you haven't seen. And then yeah. you don't need that kind of stress on you. You know, you yeah. don't like people. And, and again, then people go, oh, well, that's, you know, everyone needs to be more understanding and caring. But mm. it's like, yeah, we do. But someone can't be physically on their messages 20, yeah. like, you know. And I'm hoping people get like, can see that now, but that I, I care so much about, you know, every person that messages me. Um, but that's where it's great having clinical supervision and, you know, 1737 who, if there is um, high crisis situations, they're on it real quick um, just to make sure that, you know, so they're that's going all covered. Through your messages. They are now. Yeah. Um, with, you know, like that's certain accounts. I've got my personal accounts that they obviously don't, but um yeah, it's just to make sure that we're kind of clear on, you know, if there is crisis situations, we can respond. Yeah. Is that a lot of pressure on you though? Um, it was at the start. Now, I mean, I think it's, it's always going to be pressure because you're dealing with people's lives, but um, I'm I'm confident now in my team and in the the things that, especially my, you know, the production company, the producers of the series have put in place to make sure that um, everyone involved in it is really protected and um, that we have systems that we can follow. And it's just everyone's still, you know, navigating and figuring stuff out. But yeah, I, I feel I feel confident in in what we're doing. Amazing. Now, what is some advice you would give to say someone is has a family member or a friend or whatever relationship it may be, and they're really concerned about them and they want to know how to help them? What would you suggest they do? Um, I think that a lot of friends and family, if they if the person is really you know they're like I they're really bad. Um, anyone can call or text one seven three seven, and then that's not just for people that are struggling. It's for anyone else to be like, hey, what do I do? Like help. And if it's something that needs to be directed through, we have community services and things like that that can help. Um, but I think that the biggest thing for me that um, as someone who has been in that position that really helped was that the people around me just constantly chose to speak against my core beliefs. And, you know, that's how that whole list was created. And it was intentionally being like, jazz, I love you, jazz, I love you, jazz, I love you every day. Um, And choosing to, you know, to speak positively to them and um, figuring out if you can, what their beliefs may be. Um, It usually is either I deserve to be punished. I'm unlovable. I'm a burden. Those are the three main ones. Um, And so just constantly reassuring as much as you can, because while you may feel like it's not getting through, um, it is just might not show you yeah and what about it's a tough one this is probably a really hard question because what if someone isn't showing signs of anything being wrong then you're just not to know are you yeah I mean as if someone's really not showing anything it's hard but that's where it's just if we are kind of talking about mental health normally and they don't see you um, on social media making comments on things or, you know, it's it's all they're watching every response. They're watching to see if it is safe enough to talk. And, um, and so it's kind of making sure that you um, live in a way and like just your relationship is in a way that people feel like they can come and talk to you, um, talking openly, being like, hey, like, how are you doing today? Just with all of your friends, checking on all your friends. Mm, yeah. yeah, not it's like they always say check on your strong friend yeah. as well, right? Like yep. rather than just the ones who seem to be struggling, check yeah. on, you know, 
your strong friend as well. Yeah. It is such a tough one. And there's like, you know, people say the government need to do more and like socially we need to do more. But what do you think? I mean, obviously the work you're doing and some of these things just by being there for each other and really helping each other out. How are we going to tackle this? Like, how are we able to, do you think? Like, obviously I don't think, sadly, there's ever going to be no suicide. That would be ideal. But what can we do? Like, what do we need more of? Do we need more counselling, more funding? What do we need? I I think that there's, there is hope for our country um, because we are still quite on the back foot of this. We are that means that there's hope for change. And from my experience of the systems, what we need um, is funding and programs for early intervention because my experience has been, um, you know, taking people into hospital and being like, I'll come back when you've tried to kill yourself. I've heard that as well, that there's not really much before that. Yeah, there's nothing that they can do. They will, or they won't. They can't intervene. There's not. There's no systems for you until you you're in the system and having had tried to kill yourself. Why? That seems so stupid. I think that. Well, I actually just learned this the other day that our our current systems um, are literally have been set up um, post asylum. So when all the other psychiatric asylums got closed. Um, they decided to move them over to the kind of current hospital structure that we have now. Um, and that structure has not changed. So it's pretty much like a community-based thing for people in high crisis only um, is the only system that we've integrated because nothing's kind of um, – it hasn't been as prominent, I guess, until now. Um, but we've been talking about it for about three years and we still don't have that funding. So that's why I think things like the Mental Health Inquiry, it's going to be interesting to see what the government come back with. Um, and I'm going to be shocked if they don't have anything in early intervention because, you know, ambulance at the bottom of the cliff, all good. But if we want to actually see the statistics change, we've got to start building the fence at the top. But I don't think we're willing to at the moment. Yeah, definitely. Um, what do, do you think that people – I think as well from my experiences of friends who need help, like they – I just don't think people realise that there's, there's like – there are counselling services which you can get for free through your doctor, right? You can mm. get referred. I mean, you guys have got to go to your doctor, but I just don't think people know that this stuff exists. And also there are really, there can be really long wait lists, yes. which in a situation where someone's suicidal or really mentally unwell, they need like urgent yeah. attention. Yeah. And so that's where we need, um, and I don't even think it's just piling more funding into it. I think we need a whole structure change. Um, I, the other day, and I'm, I'm about to tackle this in media soon, but um, I had someone, uh, a good friend of mine who was highly suicidal and was, uh, you know, threatening to take their life. And so I rang our crisis team, which I don't even know if people know that exists, but in order to get to our crisis team, you call a number, they put you through to another number, they put you through to another number and then you leave a message and then they call you back within like half an hour. That's our crisis team, right? Mm. So this happens and then they um, they give me a call back and they're like, oh, look, I've, we've contacted this person and we don't think it's a mental health issue, it's an alcohol issue. And I was like, they are drinking because they don't want to live. Um, and they were like, oh, no, that's called a hangover. And I was like... Are you kidding? I was like, like oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realise one of the symptoms of a hangover was wanting to kill yourself. Oh. Um, and then I turned to this worker and I, on the phone and I was like, look, if this person tries to do anything tonight, their blood is on your personal hands because I am telling you that they are going to try and take their life um, and you're bouncing it off to just say it's an alcohol issue. That's It's on you. Um, the next day I woke up and this person had messaged um, goodbye and they were found... Um, just kind of semi-conscious after trying to take their life. Um, thankfully, they're still alive, but that's our system. That's what's happening in our system right now. And I think that there's an entire – that's why I – sure, poor funding in. It's a structure change that needs to happen, though. Yeah, it's it's funding, but mm. it's also letting people know what's available because people yeah. don't know, and they don't know they can get 
And families don't know because, yeah. I mean, you don't know until you're in a situation, do you? Yeah. And even then you're still kind of lost in this. Like there's all these helpline numbers listed, like 30 of them, which yeah. I think is stupid, by the way. Uh, it's, I don't think Poor I've ever- funding lo- into like maybe one or two or something. Yeah, yeah. And that's what you, you know, I had the honour of having um, coffee with Prince Harry and Meghan Markle when they were here and we were talking about what they did with Heads Together and bringing everyone under one umbrella. We're stronger together. That's what makes change. Not everyone doing separate little things, which, you know, it does, it works to a degree, but if we want to see actual massive mm. change, that's what, that's what needs to happen. Especially in a small country like New Zealand. Yeah. You know, like we may as well all band together. And Yes. Yeah. Yeah, oh. but there's a lot of politics behind it. People don't want to work together and it's stupid, but I'm like, come on, guys, if we want to see our stats change, let's go. Because mm, we do have like basically the wor- one of the worst in the world, right? The worst for youth, yeah. Mm. And like we live in such a beautiful country. Yeah, it's everyone's very confused when they, you know, look at New Zealand and this beautiful, clean, green country. Um, but we also have one of the highest rates of child abuse um, and domestic violence. Yeah. And so there are a lot um, of underlying social issues in New yeah, Zealand. Yeah. yeah, and we we don't change our statistics without changing what is leading to them. Um, and so that's you know with Jessica's tree, that's what we really focus on as well is the the things that happened that um, took her to that point. Um, which yeah, it is very prominent in our in our society. I'm really looking forward to watching it. Um, and what was it like meeting with Prince Harry? Like, oh my god, love Prince Harry, Meghan Markle as well. Wow. Oh, uh, it was it was really interesting. Um, I didn't really know what to expect. Um, and you know, we got to sit with him for like half an hour and just you know have coffee and chat. And um, I was Is like, he funny? Because I feel like he's funny. Well, I think he would have been. About, it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say actually no, that's a silly thing to say because he's like obviously talking about something very yeah, serious and not yeah. really like ha ha laugh about it. <laughs> yeah, he was he wasn't funny with us, but I think he is. Um, but he was it was really great because it was wasn't like the structured interview or anything like that. It was super chill. He was really into it, which was really great. Um, but He's yeah. got a big, he and Will have got big hearts. You can yeah. just tell they got that sort of thing from yeah. Di. Whereas Megan just kind of stared and I was like, ah! Um, but it's interesting because I've, I've kind of got a weird, like, I didn't bring it up because I was like, this is just going to feel like I'm name dropping if I bring it up. But um, like I know her co-star Patrick, um, I was speaking with his wife, um, Troy, in LA uh, in 2017. Um, and so I was like, I'm kind of weirdly like connected to your world. I'm not going to say it though, because you're giving me this really intense scare and it's like staring and scaring me. But yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, thank you so much. And do you want to keep doing, obviously with your background in film and everything, do you want to keep doing like telling stories through this is that what you want to do yeah it's what I want to do for the rest of my life yeah amazing um yeah what are some goals with it that you want to be able to achieve um I I'm looking at heading back over to the states very soon and we want it like my kind of biggest thing is trying to insert hope into every kind of stream of media so um I big time goal I want to be able to start a production company over in the states and doing um and you know so that stuff can come here but doing big feature films that are not cheesy but are hopeful yeah um, and, you know, being able to tell stories that matter um, in, in such a, a big scale so that hope is, um, you know, suicide's a global issue. Yeah. Um, yeah. How do you manage to make all this stuff happen? Like, I'm just so impressed <laughs> by it. And, like, how do, how do you do it all? Like, is it overwhelming thinking that I want to start this production company? Like, how do you go about even doing that stuff? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm yeah. always in awe of everyone when they're like, I want to do this. And I'm like, wow, how did you do that? Well, I mean, I, you know, when I looked at Voices of Pope, I was like, oh, I want to, you know, be able to create video content and, you know, just like that was a very small scale at the at that time. But um, I think that I look at the issue and I'm very determined to make change in that issue. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a futuristic, I'm a dreamer. I'm like, let's just do it. 
Um, and I, I work for a production company now, which is great, hence why Jessica's Tree came. Mm. Um, but, yeah, just building, networking and just determination of making change. Yeah, definitely. Hey, thank you so much for your time. Before we do wrap up, obviously you've got – there's a lot of information we'll put in the show notes of this podcast um, and also I'll, I'll record some as well. But for someone who is maybe in a really dark place right now listening to this, what message do you want to share with them? That it's not about battling your past but fighting for your future. Um, that you can spend so long battling the things that have happened um, and or things that are, are going on and it's hard. It is so hard but um, things only start to change when you start to fight for the future and it is so possible for you to have one. I'm, I'm living proof that no matter what you're going through, it is always possible to get through. Just keep waking up every day and even if it's the tiniest of goals of, you know, seeing the sunset that night or whatever it may be, um, write them down and start to fight. It is so possible. What would you tell younger jazz as well, the one who was trying to, you know, that want, didn't want to be alive, that was attempting over and over again, looking back and what you know now. And I think this is a positive message to share with people too because look at what you've achieved. You know, you were in that spot as well, like someone may be. Mm-hmm. What would you tell your younger self looking back and knowing what you know now and what you've been able to achieve? I I think kind of over all of the stuff that I, I've now get to do, um, what I would tell my younger self is you have no idea how loved you actually are. Um, you know, I now have the most incredible relationships with everyone who was around me back at that point in time. Mm. Um, and only now can I see that, oh my gosh, they really did love me. They, this would have destroyed their world if I had taken my life. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, what I get to do is amazing, but more than all of that, I now know what it is to be loved. Um, and yeah, it's it's incredible. Thank you so much, Jess, for your time and everything you're doing as well. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Some people may have found this episode of the Self Love Club podcast hard to listen to. If you or someone you know needs help, you can find a full list of contact details in the show notes for this episode. Also, if you're in New Zealand, you can free text or call 1737 to talk to someone. Thank you for listening to the Self Love Club podcast. A special thanks to Nick Bourbon, our audio engineer. Please subscribe for more episodes and catch up on apps you may have missed. Reviews and sharing this independent podcast with your friends and on your Instagram stories helps so much in spreading the self-love message to others who may need it. To find the Self-Love Club resources and blog posts, check out my website, bellcrawford.com. You can follow me at bellcrawford on Instagram. I love hearing from you so much. Also, we've just launched the Self-Love Club community on Facebook where you can connect with other members around the world. Feel free to join. We've got heaps of boss babes coming up to empower you through the rest of 2019 with weekly episodes available each Monday. Like next week, we've got Anna Reeve, more with Gaia soon, and the 20s Club, just to mention a few. Catch you soon, babes.